Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand and one of the ushers will bring you one and you can keep it. Uh, really, really cool study today. As we studied Luke 17, 20 through 37. And I remember, um, before I was a Christian, I actually used to be in a band, believe it or not. And uh, we used to play parties and you know clubs and things like that. But I remember one of the songs that we had was called, Are You Ready? Uh, Are You Ready? And I don't remember anything about the song. I mean, Shelly can sing it for you, but I don't remember anything about the song, other than it was just asking that question, are you ready? And, you know, we probably ask that question frequently in life, you know, are you ready to go? Maybe some of you here even struggled with that, you know, kind of getting to church. Sometimes that can be, you know, a big issue, man. Are you ready? Come on, you know, you got to curl your hair, you got to put your makeup on, you got to iron your shirt or whatever it is, you know. And you got to get ready. And, and I know sometimes I'll ask Shelly, you know, are you ready? Is the, is the food ready? Um, sometimes people will even ask me, are you ready for the study? Which I never feel like I'm really ready. But, you know, we hear that a lot. Are you ready? But, man, the thing that we talk about today, um, there's no more important question. And there's no more important time that that question should be answered. Then our topic today, in which God himself, in one sense, I think when we look at the theology and the eschatology and all the different things that we're going to pull out today, in the end, it's just a simple question, are we ready for the return of the Lord? Are we ready? You know, I believe that the Lord is coming soon, and we need to not only, you know, get ready, but we need to stay ready. You need to polish your shoes and and tie your shoelaces. You know, one of the things that I like to do, but I don't do it that often, do you guys ever, um, like, get your clothes ready the night before? Do you ever do that? That is so awesome, man, if you do. You you iron it, and you get your shirts all hanged right there in your pants and your shoes, and you put your socks right there inside your shoes and your belt, and, you know, you wake up in the morning, and your books are right there. Whatever it is, it's just awesome, You know, you can tell when someone is serious about really just being ready. Because a lot of times, you know, we might shoot out the door, we made the car, whatever, we got to service on time, but a lot of things, you know, didn't happen, were neglected, we forgot something, things weren't right. And I guess when it comes to the Lord, when it comes to the possibility of me dying, or the rapture, and we're going to get eventually even to the second coming, that we got to really be ready. You know, the night before or whatever, in, in advance, really searching our hearts and making sure that when the Lord comes on that day, that we're really, truly, totally ready. And we're going to see that today in our study, and I hope that God would take His Word and use it so that we would be ready. Because it says in verse 20, Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God. 
The kingdom of God is a phrase that we find 69 times in the Bible. It refers to God's reign. It refers to God's rule, both physically and spiritually. But here's the thing, you guys. Before we can ever, ever, ever see the physical kingdom of God, we must submit to the spiritual kingdom of God. You know, here we see the Pharisees came to Jesus and they, they, you know, they answered him. They said the kingdom of God. I mean, they asked him about the kingdom of God. Now, we know in studying our Bible that the Pharisees were not right. They, they weren't. And so what Jesus does is he answers their question with that in his mind. He says, the kingdom you need to know about cannot be seen with human eyes. It's not observable like that, see here or there. Literally, what Jesus says in verse 21 is the kingdom of God is among you. It's in the midst of you. You know, we know that Jesus would not tell the Pharisees the kingdom of God is within you because the Pharisees were off. The Pharisees were into religion. The Pharisees were into rules and regulations. The Pharisees did not have a real relationship with God. And so the Lord would have never told the Pharisees the kingdom of God is within you. And that's when we come and we realize the Bible was written in English. It was written in Greek. And you look up the Greek word and you find that this is speaking about the kingdom of God among you. The kingdom of God in the midst of you. And what Jesus is basically saying is that, you know, in one sense, here I am. Here I am. Have you ever met a king? Have you guys ever like met a real, you know, king? There are some kings out there. I remember Rawl, he would tell me, Pastor Rawl, he would say that he met the king of, I think it was Tonga. Is that a country? Tonga, yeah. And, you know, so, you know, it's kind of a trip, man. You meet a real king. And the last time I checked, wherever there's a king, there is a kingdom, right? And here's the king. Right in their midst, Jesus Christ. Remember the wise men, the magi, when they came? They went to Herod and they said, Behold, we've seen a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. We've come to see the king of the Jews. Remember in John chapter 1, a little while later, verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Remember later in Luke 19, verse 37 through 38, where the people cried when Jesus came, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember later when the governor asked Jesus in Matthew 27, 11, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, it is as you say. See, what we find in the life of the Lord is that Jesus was the king and there he was among them. There was the king in their presence. But the Pharisees, unfortunately, resisted Jesus as king. And so he basically tells them, you will never see the kingdom physically if you do not bow to the king spiritually. The kingdom of God is among you. And, you know, that's important for us to know. Have you ever gone to a funeral? Maybe the priest or someone. I know I've gone to a funeral when the priest said, hey, we're all going to go to heaven one day. We're all going to see you know, Tony again, you know, or whatever, whoever it is, man. I remember one time I went to a funeral, and that's what he said. He said, you know, I know that we're going to see him again. And I looked around, and all the people that were there, I knew there were atheists there. 
I know there are people there that did not believe in Jesus Christ. And I knew that that priest was lying. Because not everybody goes to heaven. Not everybody is going to see the physical kingdom of God until they submit to the spiritual kingdom of God. Until that day comes where you crown Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. I'm not talking about a religion. I'm talking about a relationship. I'm not talking about a person who does what they want. I'm talking about a person who finds out what God wants them to do by reading the Bible. And then they submit their life to him. See, the Pharisees, they were in that religious position. You know, but they were not going to heaven. And the Lord says, listen, the kingdom of God is among you. You need to open your eyes. And so he speaks to the Pharisees. He knows his audience. And then he speaks to the disciples. And he talks all about this. Because he says there in verse 22, Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You know, I don't know about you guys, man, but I know that I cannot wait for the kingdom of God to come. I can't wait for the day that King Jesus sets up his kingdom. And we need to know what the Bible says, that there will be a literal, physical kingdom set up on planet Earth where Jesus Christ will rule as king. There will be an actual throne in the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus Christ will rule as king. You know, Jesus is going to explain this to us. But he says, before I get there, he says in verse 25, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. The Greek, it means suffer many things, suffer terribly. You see, he would die for us on the cross. Before the crown, there would be the cross. There always is. He would be rejected by this generation before his coronation because before the crown, there's always a cross. That's what our Lord did for us. And we know, just as a quick side note, that the same is true for us. That we must die to our own will. That we must clutch our cross. That we must deny ourselves before we can ever think that we will ever have a crown. The Lord says, first I need to suffer terribly before the crown. Because he says there in verse 22, and there's something interesting. The days will come, you guys, when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And you will not see it. I mean, we know as you read the Bible that they had been walking with the Lord for three, three and a half years. And, you know, they, they, they must have loved it. You know, free food, man. You know, free fish tacos or whatever it is. They took care of him. I mean, imagine what it must have been like walking with God. Talking with God, the love of God, the peace of God, the wisdom of God, the person of God. For three and a half years, they were just with him. Imagine what that would have been like. And then we know the story. They arrested him. They had this mockery of a trial. They crucified him. He rose again, but then he went to heaven and he was gone. 
Undoubtedly, they were probably saying to themselves, man, I would love to have just one of those days back, man. Remember what it was like? I mean, I think we can probably relate to that. Maybe you have a loved one that not only you love, but man, maybe they loved you and they're gone now. That's in your heart, huh? You're like, man, I, I would love to see them again. I would love, Just even one day would be so awesome together. That's what the Lord is saying. The day's going to come when you're going to desire that so much. But he says this in verse 23, be careful though, because you're going to desire it so much, be careful that no one deceives you. He says, be careful because we need to know that there are many people who are not telling the truth. Some people say they're Jesus. Did you guys know that? I mean, you got these guys, you can see them on the internet, and they, oh, I'm the Christ. I'm the second coming of the Christ. No, you're not the Christ. You are a deceiver. You want to know how I know? Because it says in verse 24, because as a lightning that flashes out of the one part under heaven and shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that when the king comes, it will not be a secret. It will not be undercover. The whole world will see the coming of our king like lightning flashing from one end of the earth to the other. It tells us that it's going to be suddenly. It tells us it's going to be gloriously, globally, when Jesus comes. It's not going to be like some hidden thing over there, you know, in some remote part of the world. And he's saying that this, when this happens, man, you're not going to miss it. And I remember, uh, I don't know if you guys, probably some of you here are, are old enough, I guess satellite TV, when it came out, you know, and so now we could see something that happens on the other side of the earth. And so I remember some guys would say, well, that's how it's going to happen. We're all going to see Jesus because we got satellite TV now, you know. And, uh, and I just, to me, I'm like, Jesus does not need satellite TV. When our God comes to planet earth, when our king comes, suddenly, gloriously, globally, everyone will see it. And that's what the Lord is saying right here. More than likely, this is in reference to the end of the tribulation period, when according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, every eye will see him. You know, the Lord is coming, guys. And, you know, we need to be ready. You know, it sounds kind of crazy, but the thing that the Lord is going to share with us is that until the very day of the Lord, most people will not live their lives or their days for the Lord. Because look what it says here in verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built... But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He speaks about the days of Noah. You can read his story beginning in Genesis chapter 6. Most of you probably know the story of Noah and his ark, right? And there he is. Can you imagine him building an ark? You know, there's no doubt in my mind that people were wondering, what are you doing building an ark here in the middle of 
you know, the land. Um, and so it would give Noah an opportunity to tell them that judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. Justice is coming. And to tell them to get their lives right, to live life differently. But, Jesus says, they did not heed the warning. Jesus says that they went on doing what they always did until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You know, I don't know for sure what day Noah came or what day Jesus came or the flood came, but we, I was thinking the other day, because I'm kind of weird, I was thinking maybe it was a Tuesday. You know, it was uh, a Tuesday. There was a lot to do on this Tuesday, right? And then what happened was the Wednesday became the Wednesday, the day when God came. From one day to another, everything changed. It was, until the day. And they just kept doing what they always did. You know, got a burger, got a beer, getting married, living life. Nothing different. There's nothing wrong with those things. Well, beer, yeah, there's something wrong with that, okay? <laughs> Eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with it. But if any of that comes before the Lord, there is. And... If you just live life neglecting God, then there's a big time problem there. Because if you don't live your life in submission to Jesus, then you will perish. I promise you. That's why the Lord gives us that warning, you guys. You know, what we see is that none of us knows, you know, most of you probably heard, you know, that Whitney Houston passed away. And I don't know the details of her death. You know, but I do know this, that all of us have an appointment. You know, no one here, no one here can say they have tomorrow for sure. None of us here. One day we're going to die. One day the Lord's going to come in the rapture of the church. One day he will come at the second coming. And that one day will change everything. That's why we have to be ready. We have to. We must live life differently. We don't just keep eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage and buying and selling, planting and building. We have to live our life differently. Jesus here mentions the days of Lot and his story begins in Genesis 11 and climaxes in Genesis chapter 19. And the interesting thing about Lot is when you read that story, Lot is a representative of a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian you know, where 1 Corinthians mentions, you guys, man, you should have grown up by now, but you're still carnal. I can't give you meat. You know, the Bible talks about Lot. He did know the Lord, but we know that he had no witness. The carnal Christian and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah there in Genesis 19 engaged in blatant sexuality, homosexuality. It was a society that in all reality did not know the Lord, much like America today. And all I'm saying, and this is very, very simple, is that we got to heed the warning. We have to just embrace the truth that we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we have to be ready. Even though the writing was on the wall, they should have known it was in the air, that judgment was coming. What ended up happening is they just kept living life like they always did. Nothing changed. 
a burger, a Coke, sold some things, bought some things, planted a few flowers, picked up some stuff at Home Depot, just like any other day until the day it rained. Until the day it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And so Jesus says in verse 30, it's going to be like that when I come as well. You know, and I'm, I just want to encourage you to heed the warning. When you think of this, think of number one, lightning, lightning. And it's so fast. It's, you know, instantly. It's globally. Number two, think of living, living life in light of the Lord's return. Don't just live normally. Don't just live casually. Because that is living foolishly. We've got to live wholeheartedly for the Lord. Because look what the Lord says in verse 31. In that day who is on the house stop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Now it's important to remember the Jewish background here. Um, what we see is that this is the time of the tribulation period. Now, the tribulation period is the final week of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, in which God is dealing with the Jews. The last three and a half years of the tribulation period are known as Jacob's trouble. It's specifically a time in which the Jews will be persecuted during the final seven years of world history. Because that's when the Antichrist will turn from a man of peace to a man of persecution. And what Jesus is saying is here to the Jews, he says that when that day comes... If you're on top of the house, and that was a place where they would kick it. It was a flat house, and they would have their barbecues on there, whatever it is, right? He says, if you're on top of the house, don't even take the time to go inside the house. Flee, flee, run for your life, or you will die. He says, if you're out in the field, you know, don't even think about going into the house and getting something. You need to flee, run as fast as you can. Because during the tribulation period, he's going to provide a place for them to be saved. Now that's true for them physically, that's true for them literally, but then it's also true for us spiritually and allegorically. You know, maybe you're here today and you know, you're like, well, I'll do this tomorrow. I'll give my life to Christ tomorrow. I got to go take care of a few things. And the Lord is saying, there's no time for that. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of absolute surrender to the love and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, what we find is that, I don't know if you guys remember this, how, how long has it been, just out of curiosity, since you've run as fast as you can? Just out of curiosity. <laughs> Some of you here, maybe, you know, you're, you're, you do good. You know, I go running, I go sprinting. I remember when I was young and played tag and football. It was fun. You know, if I did it now, I think I would die, to be honest with you, you know? Um, but... Anyways, what I'm trying to say is that running as fast as you can, running as fast as you can, you got to do it spiritually now. There's no time to mess around. There's no time for distractions. There's no time, the Bible says, when the word of God it falls on the heart that's caught up with the cares and the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world, it chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. You end up like Lot. The Lord is saying, I'm coming. One day I will die. One day the rapture will come. We don't know. And we have to be ready for that day. What we see is the Lord here is challenging us to live life always in readiness for his return. 
You know, I pray that none of us here would be like Lot's life, Lot's wife. Look what it says in verse 32. Remember Lot's wife? Do you remember? Remember what happened? They were pulled her out of Sodom and Gomorrah. They saved her. But what ended up happening? She wanted to go back. And there you are right there. And you're like, you know what? I think I'm going to listen to some ACDC today, you know? <laughs> some Black Sabbath. I like Eminem or whoever it is you used to listen to. And little by little, you go back. Oh, I think I'm going to call up some old friends, man. We're going to hang out. Even though the negative influences, habits, lifestyles, things that God took you out of, you're going back to. Like the Bible says, we need to be so careful, you guys. My encouragement to you as a Christian, and I know it sounds, you know, a little challenging, but, you know, continue to, to grow. You know, the, the day that you get saved, you go forward and you continue to grow deeper in your relationship with the Lord, not backwards. Why? Because there's an urgency in your heart. The Lord says right here in verse 33, a very important verse, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. You know, if you shoot for earth, oh, I want this earth, then you're not going to get it, and you're not going to get heaven. But if you shoot for heaven, him, God, you're going to get heaven and you're also going to get earth thrown in. The way earth should be. I'm not talking about health, wealth, and prosperity. I'm talking about love, peace, joy, freedom, the good things, friendships, the things that are important. You see, that's what happens. Because a lot of times we want to save our life. We need to hold on to our life and and the Lord says, man, I got a way better deal for you. I tell you what, this is the way it works. You give me your life, God says, and I'll give you mine. And that's the exchange life. That's the way that we want to, you know, live our life. You know, because if we try to hold on to our life, then we'll lose it. The Lord says, if you give it to me, then you'll find it. Because one day, and the day is coming very soon, God is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. Right now, we don't see it here. We don't see it here. Right now, he allows the tares to grow among the wheat. Can't really tell. Some people here might not know the Lord. I would guess some of you don't know the Lord. You're not really saved. One day, though, God will make the separation. You know, you guys remember the, this parable of the wheat and the tares, Matthew chapter 13. You know, God planted the good wheat. In the, you know, the field. But then one day, while this guy was sleeping, the enemy came in and he planted the tares. And so when the workers saw this, they came to the master and the owner and they said, wow, we don't know how this happened. An enemy must have done this. Should we gather up the tares? Should we take them out now? And the owner said, no, lest when you gather the tares out, the wheat come out also. The Lord said, let them grow together. And then in the end of the age... The angels will come and they'll separate the wheat from the chaff. And then he says, what they'll do with that chaff is they'll take it and they'll throw it into the unquenchable fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, what we need to understand is this is what Jesus says and this is why we need to be ready. Look what he says in verse 34. I tell you that in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken and the other will be left. Two men will be grinding together. The one will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one taken and the other left. 
Now, there are some who say this is the rapture. Um, I don't know. I, if I had to guess, I would say it's not the rapture. I would say that this is more than likely, contextually speaking, of the end of the tribulation period. What we find is that God separates the saints from the aids, the wheat from the chaff, and the sheep from the goats. And it doesn't matter how close he or she is to a true believer, you can't get in on the coattails of someone else. Everyone else must have their personal relationship with God. I mean, there you are. I mean, you're, you know, you're hanging out together, man. You're working together, whether it's the fields or the millstone. And, you know, your co-laborer is a Christian, and they talk to you about the Lord all the time. Or maybe your parent is a Christian, or your friend is a Christian. And you think that because you talk about the Lord sometimes that you're going to get in. And the Lord says, no, two men, they're going to be right there. Two women right there. One's going to be taken, and the other left. And they're going to be taken, the Greek word right here is taken to judgment. That's how we know it's the end of the tribulation period. And so the Lord is just challenging us, I think, to really, really be ready. And so he closes in verse 37, and he says, And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And so he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Let's pray. That's a very difficult verse to interpret. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I read like you know, a whole bunch of commentaries, and this is one of the few times this has happened. Everyone said something different, and uh, you know this right here. If you can picture it, the word eagles is also in reference to vultures. And so, wherever the vultures are, where do the vultures usually circle? Around a dead body, right? That's probably what's going on here. And so, what does that mean? Well, some say that it's in reference to the death of the non-believer, and there the vultures are, ready to grub. We know that's something that we see in the book of Revelation. Another view is it's in reference to the death of Christ, where all the action begins around his dead body. I also like the way the NLT translates this, just as the gathering of vultures shows, there's a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. And, and really, what are the signs? I mean, if their vultures are like circling around this, whatever it is, the sign, what are the signs? And you don't want to know what the signs really are? Sin. A society that has turned their backs on the living, loving God and a people who are just doing their own thing. And the vultures are ready to, you know, consume the society that's dead. I don't know. All I know is this. I guess in one sense we come back to where we began. And, and the question is, what are we doing differently now that judgment is on its way? Let's close with one more verse, if you would. Over in Hebrews chapter 11. I like what it says in verse 7. I've always loved this verse. I... I tell, you know, guys this verse, husbands this verse, dads this verse. Because it says in Hebrews 11 verse 7, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. And he prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Noah found out that judgment's coming. And so what does he do? 
he begins to build an ark. Why does he do it? He does it for his family. He does it for his household. How does he do it? He does it by faith. He hasn't seen the rain yet, but he knows it's coming. And I guess what I'm trying to say in one sense is that you and I got to do the same thing. We got to build an ark because judgment's coming. We got to do it by faith and we have to do it with godly fear. We have to move. You know, there's sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know if you guys ever feel this way, but sometimes I feel like my feet are nailed to the ground and it's hard to, Lord, I want to do this. I want to do this. But man, everything in me and everything in this world, it, it just doesn't want me to do these things. But the Lord is saying, you know, I will give you the strength, son. I will give you the commitment, like it says in Joshua chapter 24, in which Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you move with godly fear, and God uses you as a husband, as a dad, as a mom, whatever the situation is, to build this house and to save your household. You know, earlier I was talking about getting ready for the day and I know one of the things that we do at our house is we help each other get ready for the day, you know. Uh, maybe my wife will iron my shirt for her. Maybe I'll iron her blouse. You know, maybe, you know, um, we'll work something out in which I, you know, Ariel here, I'll put your guitar stuff in the, in the car. Aaron, hurry up, you know, stuff like that. We help each other get ready, you know. And, and I guess we, I, I think in this right here, we see like a little picture of that. The man helping... The, the, the family to be ready to save the family. But I think in one sense, all of us here, just moving with godly fear and helping one another, man, to be ready for that day in which Jesus Christ comes. You know, in the end, what we find is that, I know it's hard. It's hard to a certain extent. Some people don't like coming to church. They don't like the church. Why? Because they're sinners. He's a hypocrite. She's a hypocrite. I'm not going to go to church. Well, yeah, you know what? We do struggle sometimes. I and mean, I, hopefully we're doing our best. We commit the rest. You know, if Christians aren't perfect, but they are forgiven, may God help us to be proper. But the thing is this, man, you got to stay in the church. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like in the ark. Uh, think about how bad it smelled in there. Think about how, I mean, you have you guys ever been seasick? Because they didn't have Dramamine back then, okay? <laughs> imagine how seasick they must have been in the ark. Or imagine, you know, what a dragon must have been in there, being in there for so long. Imagine how it smelled in there, you know? I mean, there was no in and outs in there. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can complain about. Being in the ark is not the greatest thing in the world. But let me tell you something. Being in the ark was much better than being outside the ark. And, and when it comes to the church... And it comes to us and this body and this congregation and things that God's doing, man. I encourage you, man. Make sure that you stay in this ark because in the end, what we find is the ark is Jesus. It's not a religion. It's the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. My encouragement to you is to run to him today and to stay where you belong. Father God, we thank you so much 
Lord, for your love and grace in our life, I pray that we would know this word lightning. Because when you come, it's going to be fast. Everyone will see. I pray we would know this word living. We need to live for you, not just pretend like we do. We even need to know the word losing. Losing our life for yours. And I pray, Lord, today that you would just bless every person here and meet them where they are. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage anyone today who's struggling, hurting, maybe even being beat up by the enemy. Lord, that today there is victory in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that for every Christian here, there would be a deeper commitment, a deep, the deepest commitment. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who doesn't know you. Lord, only you can save them. I pray that you would. And just with everybody praying, every eyes closed and head bowed, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you know, you don't know if when you die you're going to go to heaven. But you want to receive the Lord. You want to repent of your sins and receive Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. Then right where you're at, if you want to come into the ark of Jesus and be saved, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are. Raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for that hand that went up. Anyone else? This is the most important decision. And it's not an invitation from me. It's an invitation from God. He is here today to mend your marriage. He's here today to heal the brokenhearted. He's here today to lift the burden of your sins. He's here today to help you in your addictions and your afflictions. It's only found in Jesus. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Maybe you're being harassed by demons. The Bible says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Anyone here? Anyone else? Lord, I thank you so much for that hand that went up, Lord. What a beautiful hand. What a beautiful God that you are and that you would see. And Lord, our prayer today is that you would just touch and Lord, that you would just speak life over our sister, Lord. I pray that you would give her the strength to walk with you until the day she sees you face to face. Let there be a special anointing. And Lord, as we partake of communion together today, Lord, I thank you so much that we can celebrate you and we can do our best, Lord, to make sure that this is not just a religious thing and not just a church thing. It's not just a, a social club, but it's all about you, Jesus. We love you, King. And we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.